0: Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia AudioCast. This week we have Part 5 of the Secret Agent X story, The Fear Merchants, originally published in March 1936. It was written by Paul Chadwick under the pseudonym Brandt House. And if you're a Pulp fan, and I assume that's why you're listening today, you might want to check out the latest release from Brick Pickle Media, Chicago Pulp Tales, now available in print and ebook format. It features vintage Pulp stories set in the Windy City. It can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore, and you can get a discounted price by ordering direct from our website, and that link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media Production, Copyright 2020. For more information, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 11, Fiend's Bargain. The house inside was falling to pieces, filled with smothering tomb-like silence and inspired dread. The agent's flash spread a wan light across the uncarpeted, sagging floor. He walked cautiously, warily, but every step, a loose board under his feet emitted a snap or a groan when he neared the closet at the end of the kitchen, glowing eyes, pinpoints of greenish fire glared at him a moment from a corner. A gray rat, evil-looking as the house itself turned and fled through the wall. The closet door, like the door at the front of the house, was open. The agent stooped to examine the boards at his feet. The only suspicious thing he had discovered, the only sign there had recently been human beings here, was the absence of dust on the floor. He touched the boards and his suspicion was upheld. The floor had been swept clean. For that reason, there were no footprints showing. The closet had been dusted recently also. Peer as he would, he could find no marks of foot or fingers. At first, he could see no electric button. There was a shelf ahead of him, but nothing on it and nothing on the wall above. He knelt, turned his light upward and found the signal disc. It had been cunningly fastened to the underside of the shelf. A slender wire led from it, straight into the old wall beyond. A person who had been told of its presence would never guess it was there. For almost a minute, the agent continued his investigations. He ran his light along the walls of the closet, looked at the plaster in the corners. He turned his light upward, saw that the closet ceiling was made of grooved matchboards. For seconds he studied these, filled with the sense that there was the secret of the closet lay. But the ceiling was far above his head. He had come here, not to tamper, not to pry too deeply into what he was not supposed to know, "'but to fulfill a bargain.' "'A grim thought possessed him. "'Perhaps he had come here to die. "'There was no saying what would happen "'when he touched that electric disc. "'A bomb might explode. "'The whole building might fall down upon him. "'It did not seem likely the criminals "'would take such planes to destroy him now. "'It would be done more simply. "'Already they had him in their power "'through their grip on Betty Dale. "'Mindful that hidden eyes might somewhere be watching, "'the agent obeyed instruction to the letter. "'He closed the closet door behind him, "'shut in the grave-like stuffy silence of its interior.' His fingers slipped under the shelf and touched the button. He paused a moment with throbbing pulse, gave it a forceful punch. For a brief second, nothing happened. Then a smothering soft cloud seemed to descend on the agent's shoulder. Something cold and sweet and cloying under his mouth and nostrils touched his face. He gasped, choked, turned in instinctive panic. Gas. That soft cloud was some kind of dense bromine vapor. He was being smothered alive like a rat in a lethal cage. He found the door handle, gripped it, cried out. The door was locked. A catch had sprung behind him. His fingers flew to his pockets for his kit of chromium tools, but his knees gave way. With a roaring in his brain, a tightness along his scalp, an increasing pressure in his lung, he slipped to the floor. Another moment, he had lost consciousness in a black, Swedish void. He awoke. He did not know how long after, manacled hand and foot. He could tell he was a prisoner by the instant sensory response of his muscles and flesh. Metal links, tight but not uncomfortable, held his legs and wrists. There was a whiff of something in his nostrils so identified as ammonia restorative, but all about it was impenetrable gloom. He stirred, and one of the links that held him gave up a faint rattle. A voice instantly spoke in the darkness close at hand. Welcome to our meeting, Secret Agent X. The agent struggled mentally, clearing the gas fumes from his brain. He was deadly, calculatingly calm. It wasn't the first time hideous criminals had won a point by making him prisoner. He had expected something like this when he had answered the arsonist's call. He said quietly, Good evening. The same harsh chuckle he had heard in the phone booth sounded. Somewhere in the room, a tiny light went on. Beneath its eerie, candle-dim glow, three figures appeared like pictures developing out of the blackness of a film. They sat facing him in a semicircle. All three were masked, black garments draped from their shoulders, covering their bodies. He could get no faint impression of size or build. Black, bulky caps covered the hair of their heads. Only their eyes were visible, glittering coals of fire behind their masks. If the stage had been set to impress him, the agent was not impressed. Only two things concerned him, the capture of these criminals and the fate of Betty Dale. I have come, just exactly what is it you want. You have come, one of the masked men mocked him. You have come because we had you brought here unconscious. You have come only because we chose to let you live. This isn't getting down to business. No, Agent X. The speaker paused a moment, seeming to crouch forward in the posture of a feasting vulture. You've heard of poetic justice, you've heard of irony. We're going to give you nice examples of both now. You spoiled our collection the other night from Norton King. By doing so, you spoiled our entire plan. We've brought you here to suggest another and to put it into practice. You, Agent X, ought to be our new collector. The agent breathed a moment. The girl. Where's Betty Dale? Well, you can't find her, but she is safe. Safe so long as you do what we tell you. How did you get her out of the fire? Silence! You're not here to ask questions. You're here to obey. I'll do nothing till I know the girl's alive. Of course, we expected that. Look beside you. The agent turned his head. A panel in the black wall was opening. Behind it, a girl in a tweed suit was standing. Her face was pale, troubled, but tinged with the glow of life. Gold gleams touched her yellow hair. Her arms were bound to the slim lines of her figure. Betty Dale. Speak, said one of the black figures. We have a friend here, the secret agent. Her eyes fastened on X. "'You!' she breathed, her voice was tremulous, throbbing like the note of a muted violin. The agent spoke to the foremost black figure. "'If you want me to help you, I must have a few words Betty Dale alone.' "'Must?' he chuckled. "'Your choice of words is amusing, Mr. X.' "'You have everything to gain by my services, and everything to lose without them. Do you find that amusing, too?' Turning to his cohorts, the first black figure stared at them in silent consultation, then he faced back to X. You know, of course, that we can kill both you and the girl. Still, said X, you need a collector or you wouldn't have brought me here. Tense, anxious moments dragged by. Finally, the spokesman in black nodded. All right, talk to the girl. No harm can come from it. X moved swiftly to Betty's side, pressed his lips to her ear, whispered, have you been to the Joby Department store? Betty shook her head slowly. I... I don't think so. You're not certain, Betty. Were you drugged? Yes, when I was first brought here. I... I don't remember it very well. Made me keep my coat on, and... I think... I threw something. The girl's words were cut short by X's hand over her mouth, For a solitary black figure had noiselessly slipped into the room. The voice behind the mask said... You've allowed to talk to Betty Dale, Mr. X. Now, stand clear. In as X moved, the panel shot back into place. Betty Dale had disappeared again. X asked, If I keep my part of the bargain, what explanation can you give that will clear her from implication in the fire? It will be for you to clear her, Agent X. You were told that on the phone. You've forgotten that Betty Dale was seen by a hundred people. The police are after her now. I know she isn't guilty, but who would believe it? We'll give you proof when your task is done. The nature of it. You must put your cards on the table. You expect me to work with you. You will have to take our word. You have no other choice. All right, said X harshly. I'm ready to work for the price you offer. He had no intention of submitting meekly, becoming a slave of this devil's trio. He had learned what he wanted to know. Betty Dale was still alive, but he doubted these men would keep their word. Any longer than it served their purposes to do so. He listened tensely as the man who at first addressed him went on speaking. Tomorrow we are going to contact L.L. Slater again. Our protection fee of $500,000 will be asked. After the incident at Jacoby and Sons Department Store, we feel certain he will see the light and pay. In the event that he does, have you any suggestions to offer as to the best means of collection? The agent was thoughtful for a moment, then there are dozens of ways that could be arranged. I could approach Slater any one of a score of different impersonations. If necessary, I could visit him and pick up the money as a city official. Say, the commissioner of police. There was silence in the room for a moment, Then the mass speaker went on grimly. We have faith in you, Agent X. When the time comes to collect the money, you will put into operation whatever scheme seems most practical. Until then, you will be our prisoner. The agent spoke with deliberate, scathing fury. Fool! I'm not a magician! You ask me to do what few men in the world would dare attempt, and you expect me to succeed without studying the ground beforehand. I must have full opportunity to make appraisals and plans, or I don't undertake the work. Slater isn't like Morton. He may pay, but he will use every power at his command to set a trap. Without my help, there's little possibility you could collect. The agent man stared at X. You think too highly of your abilities, but there's something in what you say. Slater has proved himself to be stubborn. He'll probably ask the operation to the police. We must positively collect his payment. For that reason, we'll give you full freedom to make your plans. Find out everything you can about him. See how the ground lies. If he agrees to our next demand, you'll receive another note in Marsden's box with full details. You'll be instructed what to do with the money. The agent nodded. That's much better. The mass figure leaned toward him with shoulders hunched like a roosting buzzard. A grating sinister laughter echoes in the room. "'Naturally, we'll take steps to protect ourselves amply from you. "'If you make any attempt to double-cross us or try to steal the money—' "'You have Betty Dale to turn over to the police,' said X quietly. "'More than that, we have the girl right here with us to act as hostage for your conduct. "'If it doesn't please us, she will die. "'One of our grenades with its formic acid crystals will make an amusing burlesque of the girl's beauty, "'before it kills her. "'She will not be so pretty with her face and body swollen up as though a million bees had stung her.' So consider carefully before you try a double-cross. Ice seemed to press along the agent's spine. He knew the masked man wasn't joking. He said quietly, huskily, I understand. The black figures reached out and touched something on the wall. The agent heard a faint sound of movement directly above him. He lifted his head. A dark, cone-shaped object like a monstrous bell was descending from the ceiling on cable pulleys. It came down over his head and shoulders, covered him like a mantle. Again, he smelled the sweetish fumes of bromine gas. In less than a minute, his head fell forward on his chest. Chapter 12, The Death Flower The tap-tap of Thaddeus Penny's cane came slowly near. The agent leaned against the lamppost, hiding the tense expectation that he felt. It was day again. He was free for a while to carry on his desperate, undercover battle with crime. Free after being left in another vacant house and coming to with no one around and no notion of where he'd been taken. Betty Dale's peril lay like a chill weight across his brain. He must act quickly if he hoped to save her. She was a pawn being used in a vast game of crime, a pawn to be snatched from the board at his opponent's slightest whim. The heads of the arson ring would destroy her as mercilessly as they had those others. The agent had formulated several desperate plans. None gave assured promise of success. Before putting any of them into operation, he wanted to hear what Thaddeus Penny had to say. As the blind man came close, the agent spoke in a casual tone. "'I'll take a package of that gum.' Except for a faint brightening of his face, Thaddeus Penny betrayed no sign of recognition. He walked up to the post where X was standing and pushed out his tray of wares. The agent dropped a nickel in the cigar box tray and selected a package. Thaddeus Penny spoke softly so no one passing he might hear. Rumors only reach a blind man's ears. Of Santos there is no word. It is said that he has not been seen for months. But there is a woman, a mole he once fancied, and of her there are whispers spoken. Blossom O'Shane, said the agent tensely. Penny's head bowed. That was her name. She dropped out of sight at the same time Santos vanished. It was thought they'd skipped the country together. But catty female tongues are saying that Blossom is still in the city. She's gone high hat is living uptown in the name of Madame Colmont. She was seen and recognized in a beautician parlor by a former underworld friend. This friend told a hat-check girl. The hat-check girl whispered it to an acquaintance and a blind man's ears overheard. X clasped Penny's hand for a brief moment. You have done well. One thing more, said Penny softly. "Madame Colmont is said to be basking in riches, a limousine with a chauffeur a fine apartment servants. And where sudden riches are, there often evil dwells. Right, said the agent. You may have helped me, Thaddeus, more than you know. He thanked Penny earnestly, prompts to look him up soon, and moved off along the street. In one of his hideouts, he tapped a swift order to Bates: Get information on wealthy Madam Coleman, living in an uptown area. Post his credit investigator and question trade spiel in the neighborhood. Get all data possible. Report back at once. The agent studied again some photographs he had of Boss Santos. They'd been taken by a press cameraman, and they were not entirely satisfactory. A daring thought had occurred to X, but he shook his head. These pictures would never do. A message from Bates came in just an hour over the radio in the agent's hideout. Madame Colmont located. Rich divorcee. Lives alone except for servants. 19 Morningside Square. Credit unlimited. Extravagant spender, but no social contacts. Friends few. Only men. Await further orders. The agent thought a moment, tensely, then tapped another command. Believe newsreel films were taken of Santos at the time of political graft trial two years ago. Visit film distributors and obtain film giving clear picture of Santos. Signal immediately if successful. Shortly before noon, Bates reported that he had been able to secure the desired films. The agent picked them up at Bates' office. He returned to his hideout and set up a movie projector facing a clear white wall with a chemically treated surface. For nearly an hour, he studied the Santos films and listened to his voice as he recorded the talkie. The racketeer was a big man with a hard, brutal face. His speech was a purring drawl. The agent, with his masterly command of phonetics, imitated each syllable. In a few minutes, Santos seemed to be talking in the room. X stopped the motor of his projector and left on the wall screen a full face still of the mob man. He took out his makeup kit. Swiftly, carefully, he built up Santos' features on his own. The question of pigment bothered him, but judging by the darkness of Santos' skin, he was deep complexioned. There was no doubt he had jet black hair. The agent turned on other stills, giving profiles and three quarter views till he had duplicated every plane of Santos' face. He straightened, satisfied. The living image of Boss Santos. He had noticed the elaborate sportiness of the racket man's clothes. From a hidden wardrobe that contained almost a hundred suits, he selected one that would do. It was made of reddish-brown material with loud blue checks. He chose a pair of tan shoes, a fedora hat, yellow gloves with black inseams, and a straight cane completed his costume. He passed through a passage at the rear of his hideout down to a basement garage. Four cars were stored here. He got into a glistening coupe with a low-slung body and special tinted sunglass windows. These gave good protection against prying eyes. He didn't forget that the police ever were searching for boss Santos. He drove out into the street, turned the powerful coupe's nose toward Morningside Square. It was one of the exclusive residential sections of the wealthy. This might help him in his plan. Few people would recognize Santos there. It was past noon when he reached the square. He circled it, break slowly before the huge, ornate apartment house number 19. Suddenly he stopped, for a limousine with a uniformed chauffeur was standing at the curb and a woman with a dazzling made-up face was stepping toward it under the wide marquee. Her features were a mask of synthetic beauty, giving no indications of her age. But the agent, past master, analyzing facial contours, saw the hard planes that cosmetics couldn't conceal. He knew he was looking at Blossom O'Shane. She got into the car with swaggering grace. A fawning vestibule attendant closed the door behind her and the limousine drove away. The secret agent followed. He had no definite plan, but he wanted to meet her. Her appearance, her changed name, her way of living bespoke sudden riches. How had she got them and how would she respond to him as Santos? The answer to these questions might hold the secret of many others. Time is too precious for painstaking investigation. He must strike quickly, boldly, even at tremendous risk. The limousine went only a few blocks and stopped before a fashionable tea room. Blossom O'Shane got out. With swaying furs and swaggering hips, she entered the building with the air of a queen. Stifling the trip hammer beating of his heart, the agent followed. He marched into the eating place with the greatest composure, said to the head waiter who bowed in front of him, I'm a friend of Madame Colmont's, would like to join her who was taken to her table through aisles of well-dressed people. She was already seated, fortunately alone. When her face lifted and her eyes fell on Agent X, she seemed to freeze. Her skin visibly paled. Her bosom swelled with a sudden gasping breath. The agent sat down in the chair that waiter drew out and waved the man away. He leaned across the table and said, Take it easy. Don't look so surprised. Jeez! When would you get back, boss? Why didn't you call me? You must have gone off your nut to come in here. Ain't you glad to see me, honey? Sure, you know I am. But when I first lamped you, I thought it was a ghost. What made you scram like that? Why would you stop writing? Where you been? Her questions were pitfalls the agent avoided dexterously, feeling his way. Never mind about me. I had to scram. Business. But tell me about yourself. You look like you were doing well for yourself, kid. The woman's eyes darted nervously around the room. "'Gee, it gave me a shock to see you, but about me doing well, you said it. "'I'm in on a gold mine, boss. "'I'm helping along a racket that makes the old days look cheap.' "'Yeah, what is it? What about the gang?' "'Most of the boys are working for me. "'I'm holding the mob together. You ought to thank me.' "'Swell, Blossom, how you doing a kid?' Her foot under the table pressed down on his. "'I got backers, big ones. I'll try to swing you in on it. "'But you should have had more sense than to come here. "'We can't talk. It ain't safe.' Don't you know, boss, that all the dicks are hot after you? The agent shrugged and grinned. And the woman's voice suddenly got hard. Okay, maybe it's good for your blood pressure to play hide-and-seek with the coppers, but it ain't good for me. Any of the old crowd saw you at my table, it would gum the works. So if the dicks spot you, it would be just too bad. I'm not taking chances. I told you I might steer you into something big. I won't if you act nutty. You win, sweetheart. What would you like me to do? Scram out of here the way you came. Don't let anyone see you. Lie low. Then drop around to my joint this evening. I'll give you an fill and show you how a lady lives. The agent winked and rose. I'll be seeing you, Madam Colmont. Twice in the next hour, he visited his sub-post office box. Both times, it was empty. On the third visit, he found a note addressed to Gregory Marsden that made his fingers tremble. Marsden, Slater contacted, has agreed to pay. He will get money and bills from banks sometime before 5 and hold same for our instructions. He'll be at home with cash all evening. You know what to do. When you've picked up money, proceed at once to Hotel Hadley, where room on third floor, facing south is being held for Marsden. Claim room, go to it, and as soon as you are alone, pull up shade and blink lights six times. Go at once to drugstore across street and take call and booth for Marsden. The agent smiled grimly at the simple ingenuity of the arrangement. It left no loophole through which he might trace the arsonist ring. It left him to take all the risk in the collection of the money. He began making plans at once. He would go to Slater's home with forged credentials in the disguise of a police official. He might, as he had suggested, even impersonate the commissioner. There was no doubt in his mind that he could collect the money. With proper makeup it would be a simple task, even though the house was ringed with detectives. What excited him more was the thought of the strange revelations Blossom shame might make that evening. The agent's visit had left Madame Colmont too nervous to eat her lunch. In her hard, calculating way, she was in love with Boss Santos. She had visions about dashing figures the pair them with cut swearing through the capitals of Europe. They would have cars, houses, princely suites in London and Paris, Berlin. They would hobnob with royalty after they had made their pile. She would steer Boss Santos into the stream of lawless gold that was carrying her to undreamed of riches. She left the restaurant and returned to her apartment. She went to a small chamber at the River Boudoir and carefully locked the door. The room was ostensibly an intimate lounge. There was a couch and a couple of easy chairs and a small locked desk. She opened this with a special key. There were no writing materials in the desk. Instead, there was a compact but elaborate mechanism of dials and boxed-in tubes. She reached forward and pulled out a microphone on a movable arm. She slipped a pair of disc receivers over her hedge, She threw a switch to turn on electric current, drawn from a cleverly concealed connection made with the desk's leg fitted into a floor plug. The desk held a two-way wireless telephone operating on the super short wave. A box mounted behind the telephone itself held a device known as a scrambler. This distorted syllables spoken in the microphone before they were sent on the air. No one accidentally stumbling on the wavelength would be able to make head or tail of any messages sent over it. Both her instrument and the one miles away which received her call had counteracting mechanisms which unscrambled messages received. She hadn't bought the telephone or had it built herself. It had been installed by the backers for whom she worked. Its mechanism was a closed book to her. She had merely been told to do certain things to get her messages through. She did them now, and presently a harsh voice sounded in her ears. Station Zero, what do you want? Madam Colmont speaking, I've got some big news. Go ahead, what is it? The boss has come back, my old pal Santos. He's a great guy, on the up and up when he likes you, and I'd like to get him into a racket. Him and make a surefire team. I want your okay. What? You heard me, Boss Santos. You must know the guy I mean. He disappeared in act a little while ago. Business, he said, but now he's come back. There was a moment's silence before the harsh voice answered. Then the words had a strange measure quality that made Blossom O'Shane feel cold. I'm going to give you some news, too, Madame Colmont. Something I haven't told you because it didn't seem wise. Something I'm afraid will be a shock. Go ahead, spill it. Boss Santos hasn't returned. Boss Santos is dead. Quit your kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you a fact. Boss Sandals is dead. Murdered. He died months ago. The man you say is the boss is an imposter. I wasn't born yesterday. I played around with that guy for years. I guess I know him. He sat at my table at lunch. I talked to him just like I'm talking to you. He's coming here tonight. If you think he was murdered, you've got the wrong dope. Foolish woman. You've let an imposter, or a criminal, trick you, fool you. You've played into the hands of Secret Asian X. Yeah, I'm a right dame, and I take my orders from you because you hand out the dough. But I ain't going to say black is white. I tell you, Boss Santos is back, and I want to get him into this racket. If you don't believe me, you shall have proof. A gentleman will visit you shortly, a Mr. DeLeon. Go with him to a certain house. What you see, I think, will convince you. Blossom O'Shane was nervous when she put the telephone away. She was biting her lip. The backers who gave her orders had ways she couldn't understand. The voice that spoke from Station Zero sometimes gave her the creeps. She paced the floor of her luxurious apartment and puffed cigarettes till a ring sounded at her door. Her immaculate maid admitted a tall man with a black, carefully trimmed beard. She had never seen him before. His manner was courtly. I am Mr De Leon. I'll be honored if you will come with me. Blossom O'Shea got her wraps and followed the bearded stranger. A car was waiting below. A chauffeur drove into a street of run down houses where Mr De Leon helped her to alight. He guided her up a flight of old steps, A key admitted them to a musty hall. Mr. DeLeon moved with the air of one who knows what he is about. He led her to an attic room. He suddenly gripped her arm and threw open another door. Steady. But take careful notice of what you see. DeLeon drew back some dusty draperies and Blossom O'Shane let out a terrified cry. There was a table in the center of the room. A man was slumped in a chair before it. She got a look at the man's head, saw only fleshless bones. The man was a skeleton there was a knife sticking in his bony back. More than that, Blossom O'Shane recognized the suit as one she had seen Boss Santos once wear, and there was something horribly, gruesomely familiar in the set of those slumped shoulders. She took two faithful steps into the room and screamed again. For a familiar, heavy gold ring gleamed on a bony finger of one of the skeleton's hands. It was the lucky ring that Santos had always worn and prized. "'It's him!' she gasped. "'The Boss! That bag of bones is him!' "'Right. I'm sorry it took such unpleasant proof to convince you, but it's better that you know the truth.' he was knifed. Some rat sneaked up and scrubbed that tote sticker in his back. She was silent in an instant, face-working, hands clenched. Who did it? Who gave the works to the boss? Leon's eyes wavered a moment under the fierce lash of hers. He licked his lips and said slowly, I'll give it to you straight. The man who killed him is the same one who came to you today. The murder of Santos is secret agent X. Blossom O'Shane laughed suddenly in a "'sound like the scream of a frenzied panther. "'Her lips were red as blood. "'Her teeth were white fangs. "'Her hands crooked into claws. "'Swell,' she said harshly. "'Swell! He's coming to see me tonight!' "'Dillian read her meaning. "'Saw the fierce light in her eyes. "'His hand clenched her arm in a grip of iron. "'His voice came in a snarl. "'You mustn't touch him. "'You must stall, do you hear? "'You must play up to him. "'Let him think you still take him for Santos. "'You must confuse him all you can.' "'Why should I? He got the boss. I'm going to get him.' "'I order you not to. "'Do it, and you'll land in jail or the gutter. "'Do it, and you may die yourself by the swelling death.' The woman stiffened slightly, cringed away. "'Why why shouldn't I kill him?' "'Because he is needed. "'Because he is working for the men at Station Zero. "'Later you can do as you please with him, but you must not touch him tonight.' Blossom O'Shane was silent, and De Leon led her away. She did not speak as they drove back to Morningside Square, when she turned and saw that Leon's face was rigid with fury. It occurred to her that this black beard was false. She sensed that this man was one of her employers. She nodded when he growled at her outside the apartment. See that you obey. But when he left her, fear gave way to rage once more, and mounted against the man who had killed the boss, until veins stood out in her neck. It mounted until she was like a wild animal, a panther, thirsting for blood. Trembling, she went to a bureau in her apartment and opened a drawer. She took out a flat automatic and snapped in a clip of shells. She walked to the telephone next and called up three men. She told each to come that evening for a job she wanted done. She paced the floor, hissing between clenched teeth. I'm going to smoke that rat. I'm going to give the works to Secret Agent X. And that is all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening today. And just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.